Hello, and welcome to NCNA's Nursing Rounds, where we do the rounds on hot topics and other nurses' journeys. My name is Chris Cowperthwaite, Director of Communications and Outreach at the North Carolina Nurses Association. Today, we have NCNA member Jean Davison, DNP, FNP, BC. She's a clinical associate professor at UNC Chapel Hill School of Nursing. Jean is here to talk about her involvement with one of the biggest events in the world right now, the war in Ukraine. She has a unique perspective on ways that nurses are helping out on the ground there, and we're thrilled to hear about her experiences. Thank you so much for being here, Jean. Oh, thank you for having me. Before we get into your work in Ukraine, let's hear a little bit about who you are and what you do here in North Carolina. You have an extensive resume, to say the least, so let's have just a quick brief summary so everyone knows where you're coming from. Great, sure, yes. So as you noted, I'm a family nurse practitioner and I, I teach in the MSN, DNP, and for the School of Public Health at UNC Chapel Hill. My focus is on advanced practice nursing and then also for the School of Public Health, I teach the North Carolina Breast and Cervical Cancer and STD um, enhanced role for public health nurses across the state. So that's my background as far as my professional at UNC. The other part of my role is I am the co-director of our free mobile health clinic, which works with food pantries right now. We are in Wake County. We're at Dorcas. And we work with White Oak and in Chatham County, we just expanded and we work with Cora Food Pantry and the farm at Penny Lane. So that that is my practice. It's a nurse led mobile health clinic that is free to the public. And then I know just from talking to you over the years, one of your passions is disaster relief and things like that, which is sort of how we ended up in, in Ukraine. Can you talk a little bit about what you do whenever big things come up in North Carolina or elsewhere? Sure. Yes. So I have a nonprofit. It's called Compassion Med International, and we've done short-term medical missions both around the world and also in North Carolina. Over spring break, since Hurricane Matthew, I've led a hurricane recovery in Robeson County, Columbus County, And then also um, down in Wilmington after Hurricane Florence. So this is a group of basically interprofessional practice students that we go out, we do free health screenings and referrals and work with community partners within those um, communities in in terms of public health, um, federally called community health centers, and try to provide and improve access to care, especially for vulnerable populations. I have found, and, and you know, we'll probably get into this a little bit too, that um, disasters of any sort, whether it's environmental related, such as hurricanes, whether it's war, it has an effect and traumatizes the people that are affected by that. And in terms of vulnerable populations, such as the North Carolina farm workers, those low socioeconomic status that are already on the verge of maybe not having access to care, maybe 
on the verge of losing their home or sleeping in their car, um, have food insecurity. Those vulnerable populations, if something like that happens, it just really pushes them over the edge and it's a slow recovery. So with all that in mind, talk to me a little bit about how the idea of going to Ukraine even came up and then quickly sort of how how you got there, what organizations you worked with and some of the hoops you might have had to jump through to to get it organized. Sure. Um, Well, I'm not the leader of the Ukraine mission, um, but I have led medical missions in Romania, in Moldova, in Transnistria. Our nonprofit, Compassion Med, actually got started in 2002 when we opened up a clinic in Romania for gypsies that did not have any access to care. Um, So I've been to Romania quite a few times. I've been to um, Moldova and Transnistria, which is actually pretty much Russian controlled. And I reached out to... um, our partners over there to see if any of them were doing medical related missions. Most of them were doing um, the related as far as helping the displaced um, refugees come into the country and helping them settle, et cetera. But um, I heard just a few days after the war began at the end of February, um, WRAL covered the North Carolina Baptist on mission. And there was a short clip on Dr. Dan Phillips, who's um, a physician from Roxborough. And I used to work at, in Roxborough at Person Family Medical Center. So I knew of him and I saw that right away they were going in and setting up um, medical clinics for those that were coming across the border. So I reached out to the North Carolina um, Baptist on mission. And I knew I would not be able to go until pretty much August because of the fact that I teach all summer long. So I was put on a list to be part of a team. And um, my husband and I signed up and we were the first ones on, on this team that went at the end of July. So tell me what it was like when you got there? Tell me what you expected, how it may have been different than what you expected, or what was lining up exactly with what you thought it was going to be? And more importantly, what were you guys doing? Sure. My husband and I have done um, medical missions like this before in in places like Nicaragua, Honduras, where um, the word gets out that providers are coming and to provide care. Um, And What we do is we really try and partner with the people that are on the ground over there. And so that was the case also here in in Ukraine. We were able to partner with a missionary who has been in Hungary for about 10 years now. And she was able to set up where we were going out to shelters to work with internally displaced persons. So most people hear uh, the term refugee and they know what that is. And basically refugees are people that leave their country for some reason. Internally displaced refugees are people that have been displaced from where they, they do live, but they're staying within their country. And so most of the 
folks that we were seeing were people that were coming from the eastern part of Ukraine in which uh, Russia was taking over at that time and coming to the western part of Ukraine, which at the time I was over there was considered the safest area. We were inside the border of Ukraine. We were not too far from Hungary, but we were going around to shelters in which um, the shelters were feeding up to 200 people a day that were internally displaced. And most of the shelters were housing anywhere from 50 plus families. And the internally displaced persons in Ukraine are predominantly women, children, the elderly, and those that are disabled. So most of what we were seeing were people that were feeling traumatized by the war, um, having a, a lot, all of them having problems with sleeping, having problems with um, anxiety, increased stress, um, some depression, but a lot, especially the elderly, already had chronic disease like diabetes, hypertension that was uncontrolled. So a lot of what we did was really around both counseling and also taking care of acute needs and, and chronic disease. So you did a great presentation uh, called Voices from Ukraine that was sponsored by Sigma Alpha Alpha and the UNC School of Nursing. We'll put the link to that in any of our social media posts. It really gets into some of the logistics about how you set this up and and how the, the whole trip was organized, I guess. Um, we're not going to focus on a ton of that in this conversation, but I wanted to make sure people were aware that that's there and have the opportunity to watch it. Um, so with that being said, talk to me a little bit about the need. You mentioned at the beginning that folks are just traumatized, and then you just talked here a second ago about how a lot of these refugees just weren't getting the basic level of care. And I'm curious, is that rampant? Was it a small portion of the folks in the in the cities where you were, or is it just exploding everywhere right now? Well, I think it's, especially right now, it's probably exploding everywhere because um, since we've been there, there's been a lot more bombings that have occurred in, in terms of um, power plants and things like that. So when we were there, we had electricity, we had safe water. Um, there was a hospital um, within the community where we were um, going in and helping that we could actually refer somebody to if they needed more extensive sort of care. Um, but right now, I would say things have become worse because the basic like water, electricity, heating, all of that is um, much more a problem and an issue and and to the point of um, a lot of the internally displaced persons that were in um, our area are really starting to have the effects of not having heat and some of the basic things like that. A lot of people that have left um, are being told, you know, at this time, um, don't come back. Um, just some basic demographics. At the, the time that we were there, there were 7.1 1 
million um, refugees in the neighbor, neighboring countries, and there were 6.9 million inside Ukraine. So this is this is one of the biggest refugee crisis that has gone on probably during my time and probably during your time too. Um, having to flee the, the country for safety and um, and now basically being told if you have left, please shelter where you're at because you know they just cannot support the power infrastructure and feeding people and water and just basic needs like that. So it, it's a huge humanitarian crisis right now. And and just to put a pin in where we're at right now. So you and I are having this conversation in mid-November. We've heard for months that the energy infrastructure is going to have a really tough time in the winter. And so that's just now getting started. Um, what What's your big concern for folks? Is, uh, is it going to be a disaster? Are, are they remotely prepared for what's about to happen as it gets colder and colder? Yeah, I, I mean, I, the Ukrainians, they're people that are really working hard to maintain their country. And um, I think they and and the people that surround them right now are fully supporting um, everything that's going on as far as housing these refugees and really helping during the crisis. But I think like anything, um, when we were there, the, the, the war had been going on for six months and we were already seeing the fatigue of the leaders in, in trying to even take care of the people as they kept coming in and in and in and finding place. So I, from what I've hear from the people that we worked with, the crisis has, has just expounded. And there comes a time where you both run out of energy as a leader and um, you both run out of supplies and um, all of Europe right now is feeling the crisis as far as being able to have power for the winter, et cetera. So I think it's a humanitarian crisis that is not only affecting Ukraine, but also the surrounding countries. I'm guessing some folks might be surprised to, to hear that a little bit, because for the last two, three months, Ukraine has been pushing Russia back and pushing Russia back and pushing Russia back. And there, there may be this idea that once they get the invading army out of the way, they can start fixing things. But from what you're saying, it's it's going to take a lot longer than that. Yeah, I think recovery from anything takes a long time. I know we saw that even in, in terms of like hurricanes and things like that. It's not that, that you can't recover. It's just it's not going to happen overnight when... Your infrastructure has all been bombed. Um, even when we were over there and we were, again, in a safe area that had not really seen much bombing, um, even the roads were of need of repair and they could not even focus on repairing like potholes and things like that because all of their resources at the time were going to um, defend the country. And so 
it's it's kind of like what we went through with COVID in that during COVID, everybody's sheltered in place and and your routine sort of even health maintenance kind of got put on the back burner. Um, and so when you're when you're in a crisis mode, which they have been now for um, about 10 months or so, um, it just continues on and on and on. And you get to a point of the crisis where the recovery becomes even harder because you're just trying to backpedal getting back to the norm, so so to speak. So I think the picture, it's it's really the United Nations and, and everybody coming together and trying to end this war is the best prognosis, so to speak, to really start the slow way to recovery, but the recovery will take years to get over. And, you know, part of what I saw as a practitioner also were mothers that were taking care of their children while their husbands were off fighting. And not only were the mothers stressed, but the children were so stressed that they were not eating, they were not sleeping. And so when you think of adverse childhood sort of trauma, that's, that trauma is going to follow these kids throughout their life. And so the recovery or everything that's needed is just going to take years of help with assisted, not just med- medically, but um, with counseling, with engineering, with infrastructure, with support, all of that. You mentioned the comparison to COVID, and I don't want to sound glib, but I I can see some parallels here between the nursing profession and the folks in Ukraine where they don't want to be called resilient anymore. They're, they're over that. It's, it's to your point that it's traumatic and resilience is so far, we're so far past that at this point that it's just not even worth talking about. Well, interesting, the word resilience actually comes from the word kind of hope. When you look it up, you know, part of, I think part of our mission was to bring hope to the people and not just hope to the people that we served, but hope to the leaders. Because again, um, when you have been in the crisis mode, even as a leader trying to so to speak, put out the fire and the fire, people just keep coming and coming and coming. You need people such as us and others coming in to to give you some respite care, to come in and say, okay, you've been really doing this. Let us come in and kind of help so that you yourself can take a break. Just like with COVID, you know, burnout um, will happen if, if, there's no self-care and if there's no one to give some respite care. On that note, I think we're going to take a little break. Uh, In the meantime, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Register now for NCNA's 2023 Psych Retreat. Earn up to 11.0 credit hours, including 2.75 farm in Raleigh, January 27th and 28th. Visit ncnurses.org for more information and to register today. All right, we are back with Jean Davison. We've been talking about her efforts uh, to help out on the ground in Ukraine. 
And one thing that I'd love to hear a little bit more about is we're hearing about your pocket of, of volunteers. And I'm curious about the influx from other countries, other organizations. Was it this giant like army of volunteers streaming into Ukraine when you went this summer? And how much did you see them? What What's it look like from your perspective on that front? Sure. So um, I wouldn't say that there were a lot of groups going directly into Ukraine that were that that were doing the medical aspect of things, um, but there were a lot of groups coming in to help the refugees, not just with um, the medical part, but of course the feeding program. Like um, we worked with this really great farm that was set up actually a few years before the war that were feeding over 200 people a day. And there were a lot of groups in the surrounding areas, such as Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, Moldova, all of those groups were working to um, help the refugees and resettle, etc., so with our particular group, we flew in on like a Thursday or a Friday. We started clinic the next morning, and that was after basically a 12-hour-plus flight. And then it took us three hours to get across the border. And um, then once we were in there, we had um, clinics every day, and we were there for like 10 days. And then when we left, another group was coming in to replace us. So the, the teams that, that I was working with was a very small team. And that was very purposeful because we moved in um, mobile vans. We took all of our supplies with us, all of the medications with us, et cetera. And we went from one shelter on one day to another shelter the next day. And we had um, we had a team made up of, it was two physicians, myself a nurse practitioner, two other registered nurses. And um, we had counselors with us and we also had a farm tech with us. Um, and so we were literally kind of like a mobile van moving from one location to another. Um, Baptist on Mission had to, in September, they quit sending um, teams directly into Ukraine because of safety issues. Even when I went, um, we heard three air raids go off at night. And um, we were also told part of our travel insurance included that if anything did happen to us, we would have to go by ground transport back into Hungary in order to be able to fly out safely. Um, so there's there's the, the issue now for safety of groups. And I would say, especially Americans being targeted. So I've never given out um, where we stayed or, or the shelters that we worked in because um, around security reasons, we wanted to make sure that they were very protected. So when you get on the ground 
in a country like Ukraine, you're not just opening up shop and saying, hey, everybody come visit. I'm sure there's all sorts of local folks you have to work through and with to be successful. Can you talk to me a little bit about who those people were and how you interacted with them? Yes, absolutely. So we had at every one of our stations, we had an interpreter and we also had two physicians who were also interpreters working with all of us that were providers. And um, they were amazing because even though medications like for blood pressure and diabetes and things like that are similar, um, oftentimes their names are different. And so um, not only were they able to, you know, look up what this person used to take or did take for diabetes, but also help guide us in um, the medications that we had with us to make sure that we were giving the correct medication and the correct dose, et cetera. And also um, helping us know like what the area resources were in terms of follow-up for everybody that we saw. And also in terms of if um, we needed to send somebody directly to the hospital, how would we do that? What was in place for that? And so that sort of continuity is really important. It's important that you're working with the community leaders that know the patient population. Um, at each of the shelters, there was a community leader who was making sure that um, the people were being housed and fed and that their needs were met, that their medical needs were met. And so we were really just augmenting what was already in place and helping support and supplement. Um, I did want to say, basically, we are seeing these Ukrainians all over now. It's not just in the surrounding countries, but they're also coming into the U.S. and the mobile clinic that I work at right now, we've seen several Ukrainians come in for free health care. Yeah, one thing uh, we talked about uh, before this interview when we were setting things up is uh, the global clinic in Cary is actively, you know, Cary, North Carolina is, is actively treating Ukrainian refugees. Can you talk to me about that sort of pivot? Sure. Yeah, so even actually right before I left, um, I was able to use, I have iTranslate on my phone, and I was able <laughs> able to test it out before going over there with um, a Ukrainian woman coming in, um, who, again, her husband was still back in Ukraine fighting the war, and she was coming in um, to be seen for an acute um, reason. And we've had children come in that um, are, are being seen to try and get into school for school physicals and things like that. So um, there's a lot of refugee agencies and there's, there's a big Moldova ambassador part of the North Carolina area that has been actively trying to help people come in and to get resettled and um, we actually just had an in-service yesterday after our clinic day on temporary protective status of, of um, folks coming in, refugees, and what does that mean? What does that look like? How, how can we assist them? And um, 
So again, I think global is local. You don't have to go over to Ukraine to be able to help those that are coming in and being resettled. Well, I think we're starting to wind down on time here. I guess what I would love to leave with is your perspective on why all of this matters to nurses, what nurses should take away from it, and and how you think the nursing profession can and should be responding to future disasters of a similar scope. Yeah, I think the nursing profession has always been about one of the first ones there in in times of disaster to help and and to care. And um, we are, I'm also the chair of the DMP Council, and we're actually going to cover this topic um, in December on um, disaster um, preparedness and um, taking a trauma-informed care approach. You need to be prepared before you go into any sort of situation. You need to both prepare yourself for what you might see, but you also need to prepare yourself on how how can you help in that situation, whether it's right at the beginning during the disaster or if it's part of the recovery. And so I think we... We all need to be, as nurses, prepared for any disaster, because, again, when we talk about disaster, we're not just talking about war. We're talking about the hurricanes, the floodings, um, the accidents that, that happen all around us. And so being prepared, um, it's it's also I do want to say as a nurse practitioner, I think it's one of the issues at our state that we still need to fight for in that um, as nurse practitioners, we should be able to work to the scope of our practice without having um, a supervising physician sign off to say, yes, you can go do this. I'm very fortunate in that I have a wonderful collaborating physician who has has backed me um, not only in the practice that I do on the free mobile clinic, but um, also in terms of um, supporting other outreaches and then um, other physicians that have stepped in and really supported me to be able to practice to my full scope. But but this is an issue. I mean, stop and think about it. You want to go in, you want to volunteer at, at the scope of your practice. And yet you're being told, unless you have a collaborating physician to say, yes, I will supervise you, even though you'll be in another country, it becomes one of those um, issues. And so as nurses, we need to continue to push for our practice and make ourselves visible. Because again, nurses tend to be the ones who are manning the shelters. Anytime we have a disaster with North Carolina and you see the nurses there, you also see them coming in and, and helping during the disaster. And oftentimes we are the invisible one. It's the physician that, you know, gets highlighted as, as going into a country. And I think that, um, not, not to say that I want any credit for what I've done uh, in terms of we named 
the presentation was called Voices from Ukraine because in the presentation, I wanted to share the stories that we were hearing of the people that are living through this war. And I think that's important, but I think it's really important that we are able to practice. We are able to walk in and provide care. And that's who we are. We're a caring profession that has been trained. And so training, preparing, taking care of yourself, self-care is also really important for all of us to continue on and to not burn out like what happened during COVID. You know, we need to be taking care of ourselves as we're taking care of others. And we need to be giving respite care to the leaders that are in these situations, too. Yeah, the disaster of any scope is the last place you want to be dealing with red tape. Exactly. Well, thank you, Jean, for sharing your insight on a part of the world that has had intense focus over the last year. This is incredibly helpful for teasing out the important role that nurses are playing in trying to have a positive impact in a terrible situation. We'll see you all during our next episode of Nursing Rounds. In the meantime, continue to lead nursing forward. Thanks. Thank you.